last week. Our minister talked about broken promises. This week, I'm going to talk about promises, too. And this is the last promise of the month, actually, because then we're going to do another theme. You know, I take promises pretty seriously, and maybe not to the extent that Norman Vincent Peale advised when he said that promises are like crying babies in a theater, and they should be carried out at once. (laughs) My promises for you right now have to do, first of all, with this talk. I promise that it will take me somewhere between 13.5 and 19.2 minutes to deliver if a website that converts words to minutes is to be believed. And you can time me. A second promise is a no preaching promise because I didn't go to a school of divinity. I thought about it, but by the time I managed to accept the fact that that might have been my calling if it hadn't been something else, I was too old and it was too expensive. And because I don't like it when others do it, and I've made this pretty clear, I promise not to praise you for being you use. It's just enough that you are. Let it go at that. Okay. And I promise myself not to forget to thank Ron and Vern for organizing Thanksgiving dinner again. I don't care what anyone says. Hands up, guys. That is real generosity. This morning, my promise is to approach gratitude and generosity as components of a beautiful quality of being, sometimes called open awareness and sometimes spaciousness. Meditation practitioners say that sitting and accepting what arises for them affords them spaciousness whereas others may relate to spaciousness when it is applied to skies, as in America the Beautiful. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, etc. You know, I didn't experience spaciousness right away when I began a meditation practice. I cried a lot, actually. And that's because I found lots of aspects of myself to be pretty unpleasant, and I hadn't really expected to have to sit with them. I was more used to turning my back and saying, go away, I'm not, you know, I don't want to deal with you. I was planning to sit there and experience bliss. And I expected to be one of the first in my crowd to be enlightened. (laughs) However, after a while, I stopped struggling with what arose. And when finally I embraced the opposites in me, the loveliness and the ugliness, room began to open up. And that room or space allowed for greater perspectives as well as access to the simplicity of being present once I could disconnect from fretting about myself. And here is where I began to experience generosity and gratitude. I have to admit that there was a long period in my life when I mostly through years of virulent self-loathing and general fault-finding of others, it occurred to me that I needed to sit still and explore what was habitual for me because I had thought that generosity meant giving money when asked, and I resented it. 
So in my early church-going years, years when I was seriously identified with my imperfections, I covered my snarls with phony coughs when the call came from the pulpit to contribute. Churches shouldn't be so crass as to want money. I can remember thinking that. And they shouldn't make a big deal out of getting it. Nevertheless, I would drop something in the basket and hope an onlooker saw me being generous. I see it differently these days. Money to churches and worthy causes, even money to people who may not qualify at first glance as worthy causes, is generosity. But there is more to it than that. Through monetary donations, paying attention, performing service, those who give extend themselves. Remember those arms that come out? And thus increase their inclusivity. By extending beyond being I-centered to feeling concern for we and ultimately all of us as generous ones, we create moral and spiritual spaciousness in ourselves and in the world. Spaciousness is said to be a type of attention that can focus inward and outward at the same time, allowing one to become more conscious of the interrelatedness of all things. When I sit in stillness, I often experience that spaciousness I equate with gratitude and generosity. It does sound kind of ironic that a practice of deliberately doing nothing maybe concentrating on the breath or noticing thoughts and sensations as they come and go, could actually diminish the notion that life is all about me. And yet that seems to be the result of sitting still and centering. By doing so, one can become a container for meeting and greeting with friendliness all that presents itself pleasant and unpleasant, and just letting it all be just as it is. It is said we create spaciousness for the sake of all beings. We do this by becoming familiar with what are sometimes called the triggers or the buttons that others, often family, invariably push. When this happens to me, I try to take responsibility and not lash out. Doesn't always work. In the case of handling the pain of early childhood trauma, reactivity frequently muddies clarity. Buddhist practitioner Sharon Salzberg in her book Generosity's Perfection writes, The practice of generosity is about creating space. We see our limits, and we extend them continuously, which creates a deep expansiveness and spaciousness of mind. This happiness, self-respect, and spaciousness is the appropriate ground for meditation practice to flourish. It is the ideal place from which to undertake deep investigation because with this kind of inner happiness and spaciousness, we have the strength and flexibility to
to look at everything that arises in our experience. And I would add that when we can see the things that arise in our own experience, we can imagine that those are things that arise in other people's experience as well. And that maybe that first look that we take at someone that turns us off might not be all there is to that person. And we can let them be. No, I can't claim to be continually extending boundless caring to all living beings. Though I practice sitting still, I have not reached an elevated state of bliss, detached and wise, from which I survey the world, its loveliness and its wreckage. But I can do what Oren J. Sofer, who is my current favorite guided meditation teacher, asks of us in his meditation, Finding Inner Ease, He says, can you sense how the space around you is open, unobstructed, non-intrusive? Let your body rest in this open space. There is space for everything. It is enough to just be here. It is enough to just be here. The knowledge of enough creates space for generosity and gratitude. On the Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving, Buddhist teacher Tara Brock gives a talk on generosity and gratitude. She does that every year. At a Thanksgiving sitting in 2012, she shared a story from Tattoos on the Heart, a book by Father Gregory Boyle, about a time when he was a pastor in East Los Angeles, and his church had been a sanctuary church since 1987 and over time housed hundreds of homeless men. Father Boyle relates how one of his sermons addressed his parishioners' discontent with the smell in the sanctuary. The churchgoers were feeling that it was so unpleasant that they wanted to find another place to be churched. One man, when encouraged by Father Boyle to speak out about his dissatisfactions, had the courage to yell out, it smells like feet. Father Boyle asked why it smelled like that. Every churchgoer was at some level aware that the decision to shelter all those needy men over the years had been made as a way to follow Jesus caring for others with compassion and with love. Father Boyle said, so it smells like commitment. (laughs) And everyone laughed. And one woman then cried out in Spanish, it smells like roses. And everyone laughed again, for the parishioners had expanded the circle of their concern from themselves to include lives not their own. They were able to expand their space to live their lives in widening circles that reach out across the world, to paraphrase poet Rainier Maria Rilke. Living from a wider circle of being does make our lives less constricted. With empathy for another, existence is less small, tight, and self-referential. Unfortunately, right now in this country, We are watching someone for whom everything that happens has to refer to him. 
we see how much energy and how many tweets it takes to be sure that in his game, time after time, when the wheel stops, the ball lands on numero uno. We are seeing how a narrow sense of self, one that begins with I and can include just me and mine, requires constant tending. It looks like a form of moral blindness and knows no empathy. But enough about him. My own life over the past year has been about digging out from self-preoccupation to a more clear-sighted recognition of the woman my, of the man my youngest son really is and why he married the woman he chose. I struggled with intense grief, weeping my way, not only through the wedding, but through deep and familiar sadness. Between therapists at this time, I have had to weep alone and deal with the pain of childhood woundedness so I could take an adult stance, one of generosity, and ultimate gratitude toward a new daughter-in-law to know her in her wounded and imperfect humanity and not as a selfish tyrant who was blocking me from contact with my youngest son. I'm not going to cry because they have a new baby named Brody Bear. And I get to hold Brody all the time while they sleep. So it's pretty wonderful. In these last several months, my oldest son, born my junior year in college, which may account for his wit and wisdom, has been living at my house in Los Osos. He was kind enough to read over an early draft of this talk. Since he is a self-confessed analytical sort, he bickered with me on the Father Boyle paragraph. But I rewrote it. And then he praised a paragraph that I had written that had long sentences, likening it to the writing of Henry James. That's supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> and when he had finished reading and commenting, we began to generalize about how the act of experiencing another person in the fullness of their present being can be difficult, especially when it's someone in the family. He acknowledged the persistence for him until going into therapy, I hear that a lot, of interference from a mother archetype. <laughs> the mother archetype is the protector and nurturer of the life force of the cosmos and has the capacity for the immense expression of unconditional love, devotion, and caring. Definitely not the mother he remembered. <laughs> His young mother was herself a slackly mothered junior in college surprised by pregnancy. Lucky for both of us, this son has done his work and made space in his heart for his actual flawed parent, for me. And if he sometimes forgets, he can always gift me with a card to Starbucks. The last one was for $50, so you can see what's going on. I'm going to end this talk right now with a poem by Rumi as translated by Coleman Barks. It is a well-known poem and it's often read in churches and mostly anywhere else because it tells us a truth about our spacious selves and reminds us that everything we know and accept about ourselves isn't lovely, kind, and good. 
And we have space enough. We have space enough for everything. And then we have space for everyone. And we have space for ourselves. The guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep through your house, empty it of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He or she or they may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Thank you.